Jesus and love one another. It is possible to be a nice church without being a loving church. There, there are churches who have it down where they know how to say hello on Sunday morning and goodbye and uh, how was your week, those kind of niceties. It's, it's a lot more work and it's a lot different when it's actually people who really know each other and are growing in community with one another and it's messy and being in a church uh, with, uh, with this kind of emphasis is not always easy because we recognize that all of us have flaws and we're putting up with each other and we're praying for each other and we're encouraging each other and all the one another's that we see in the scripture. And as we were talking about this throughout the week, I couldn't help but think, Lord, uh, we have definitely areas in our church, I have areas in my own life where I need to grow in. But Lord, if there's anything I can say about our church, it's a loving church. It's a, it's a place where there's true community. This is one of the reasons why we put um, such a priority on home groups. I get very concerned about the person who comes into church, sits here on Sunday morning, and then just leaves. You know, Sunday morning, in, out, and, and sometimes people cannot get more connected. There's work uh, limitations, there's where people live, and those kind of things. So in no way is this meant to be any kind of criticism. And we, we welcome anyone who wants to come and, and sit here and, and listen and be a part of it on Sunday mornings, part of the church. But there's more to church than just coming here on Sunday mornings. And the disciples and Christ himself would have seen it as completely foreign to think of the church as just a Sunday morning event. That's nowhere in the scriptures. We can't find that anywhere to think of, of, of church as just we show up for an hour and a half to a specific location on a Sunday morning and then we just kind of go live our lives the way that we want to live them for the rest of the, rest of the week. That is uh, not in scripture anywhere. And so we have become so institutionalized and have uh, put such um, a priority on tradition that oftentimes we have forgotten to search the scriptures to see what does the church actually look like what did the church look like for the early church, and, and what does that mean for us today? And it does take work. And there are times, uh, not just on Wednesday night, but Sunday mornings, where it's like, I, do I really want to go tonight, or do I really want to be involved in this? But this is where self-sacrifice comes in um, for the joy of Christ. And so as we were talking about these things, just such a gratitude in my spirit saying, Lord, thank you for the church that you're developing and have been developing at City Light Church. And God, would you continue to make it multi-ethnic? Lord, help us not to be a white-only church. Lord, forgive us for churches that are just white churches and you have your black churches and you have your Hispanic churches. And I know there's reasons for all of that. But Lord, would you help us to become a church that is well represented by the peoples in our community? And Lord, would even our leadership look like that? God, would you make this place a, a place that uh, resembles Revelation chapter 7, verse 9? Lord, help us. And help people who are black to come into this church and feel welcome 
And Lord, what does, that, what does that mean for us who are white to help them feel welcome? What does it mean for a black person to make a white person feel welcome? What does it mean for a Hispanic person to feel like they fit here? And so praying for that, that God would continue as he is to make this a diverse church. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I am not interested in like this white-only, middle-class kind of church. And if we lived in some suburban neighborhood, maybe it would be that in some cases. Maybe it would be a mostly white, middle-class church. And again, there's no criticism there. But could we work harder? Could we be more open to these issues? Could we be more compassionate? Could we be more thoughtful in, 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 in these areas? And so those are, those are the kind of things that we were uh, thinking about and, and talking through and, and continuing to pray that the Lord would just do a work as he is here. And I just want to say a personal note of thanks for not only sending me, but sending Crystal. And even though it wasn't a vacation in the sense of this wasn't going and laying on the beach or going to Disneyland or anything like this, to spend time with her and for her to want to go to these meetings, I find amazing. And some of these business sessions were hours long. But we got to be together, and we got to do a lot, and we just, uh, we thank you. We thank you for the giving of this church, and we love you. And uh, our heart goes out uh, to you, and we're, we're, we're glad to be here. So we're in Mark chapter 6, and we're, we're talking about uh, the, the response that Christ is looking for. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 6, we'll start in verse 45 today, but before we, before we get there, Jesus has um, just fed the 5,000. We know uh, from the scriptures that uh, because this was only men, that's what the scriptures say, that there was 5,000 men, that once you throw in ladies and uh, children, that the crowd could have been anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people. This is a lot of people that Jesus is is feeding and he feeds them miraculously this is a miraculous supernatural feeding and anytime jesus does something miraculous he's trying to elicit the desire of god is to elicit or produce a response on our behalf he he wants us to to see what he's doing and respond. He doesn't just want us to go, oh, well, that's a really neat Sunday school story. Well, that's really cool. The feeding of the five thousand. That's something we can maybe we can get goldfish and um, or Swedish fish. That's what we can do, and maybe we can pass out Swedish fish to the whole congregation on the way out. And. Um, Maybe they did that in children's church. I don't know. Uh, oh, they did. Okay. Well, they did. All right. <clears throat> there we go. Those things are wonderful. But that's not all that Christ is looking for. He wants us to respond with a heart response. When we read these things, it's, 
It's to stir our faith. It's to cause us to be wide open in our hearts to Christ. It is amazing to see in our day and age how many people are closed. How many people are closed? And, and people would say, I've heard atheists say, well, if only we had some kind of empirical evidence, if only we had a, a miracle right in front of us, we would certainly believe in all of this. No, you wouldn't. People were fed miraculously and they had the wrong response. Christ is trying to elicit a right response from them. They have a wrong response. We could have raisings of the dead, resurrections right in front of us. And instead of people responding rightly, they would respond, respond wrongly. The wrong response. Well, why is this? This is because our hearts are so hardened. We're, we're looking for what we want. We're, we're desiring what we're after. We have an agenda in our, in our sinful nature that Christ is doing a miracle instead of seeing the right results or the right end to the miracle. We look at that and we say, well, how can that benefit me? That's exactly what the response was here in Mark chapter 6. I was recently watching a debate between uh, two atheists and uh, really, it was, it was actually a discussion be between the two of them. And all of the things that they were saying, well, the, the, interesting that, the, the interesting thing that came out to me was just how hard they were. Just so hard. It's amazing how you can talk to someone who's 16, 20 years old today, and the hardness of heart, the indifference, and, and it used to be, in many ways, you could talk to people and kind of like debate over these issues and discuss them. And now we've reached a, a point in our, in our culture where people don't even want to talk about it anymore. People walk by this church, and what do they think when they hear people singing in here? What are they thinking as people are walking in here, poor, duped people, believing an old story? What are they thinking? And yet Jesus' desire here is, is for a right response, a heart response, that is much different than what we see in Mark chapter 6. So why don't we go there to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at what the response that Christ is looking for. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, he has just performed the miracle of the, the feeding of the 5,000. And he made his disciples, these are his apostles, get into the boat. There is evidently a boat that they would use, a specific boat to travel around in the Lake of Galilee. There it is in verse 45 of Mark chapter 6. And go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Now it's interesting, according to Luke chapter 9, they're already in Bethsaida. So the question is, Bethsaida is up in the northeast corner of the Lake of Galilee. The question is, what is, what is going on here? We know that they end up in Capernaum, which is on the other side, the northwest side of the lake. And scholars have tried to figure this out. Commentators have tried to give uh, an answer for exactly what is going on here with, with Bethsaida. 
It's likely that Bethsaida being in the region that they were in, perhaps Jesus, as some commentators have said, Jesus is saying, listen, go up to Bethsaida, which is right near us. Westcott, Carson, others say this, and wait there while I go and pray. And if uh, the time reaches a certain point, you guys, you boys are to go ahead and cross over the lake. So evidently they get in this boat, his apostles or his disciples, they head past Bethsaida on the same side, the northeast uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee, and now they're going to head across the lake to the northwest side and reach uh, Capernaum. And so he does this, he has them uh, get into this boat. The Bible says here, while he dismissed the crowd, now, that's kind of interesting here. Jesus doesn't just say, listen, um, I need you guys to go ahead and dismiss the crowd, and I'm going to go out the side exit door. You guys dismiss the crowd. You know, three or four of you guys can come with me. We'll go ahead and head across the lake. It is getting into the evening now, the scripture says, and there's a, there's a compassion here of Jesus. There's a kindness he would stay. He's been teaching. Remember, he's tired. He's been wanting to get rest. And so he dismisses the crowd. He stays with them. And we know that he looks at them like sheep without a shepherd. And tenderly, he's speaking to them. And he's saying, okay, uh, ministry session for today is over. And if we think about that, just, just thinking about how many people, if you really saw Jesus healing people, which they did, and you see this unbelievable miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, wouldn't you want to make sure that you get to touch Jesus? I mean, this isn't just Benny Hinn. You know, I heard that this guy is doing something, and so let's all go there only to be disappointed. This isn't some uh, televangelist that is a fraud. This is Jesus really doing something, true miracles, and people are watching this and they're saying, we've got to get to Jesus. Our friend has this disease or this ailment or this disability. Jesus, we know because we didn't just hear about it. He didn't just have us go into some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, uh, mind over matter type of thinking here for 10 minutes to kind of believe we're healed, but we're really not healed and we just... We just go home unhealed. No, that's not what was going on. These, these people were really being touched, were really being changed. And you can imagine that thing could go on 24 hours a day. You could never stop. How many needs are there? How many people are sick? Can you imagine Jesus on this earth, earth right now? People are really seeing him heal, really do these kind of miracles. How long the lines would be just waiting for Jesus to lay his hands on them and touch them. And so Jesus in his tenderness and Jesus in his kindness finally brings this thing to an end. There's a compassion there even in how he does this. He, he's the one who says, okay, it's, it's, time, to, uh, it's time to turn out the lights. Uh, the, 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 the party's over for today. Now this is going back a little bit and it's probably overused, but it's, it's not just some voice coming over the PA system saying, Elvis has left the building. That's not what's going on here. 
This is Jesus, God in the flesh, and he in his compassion and in his tenderness is dismissing them. Now we have to ask ourselves, is there any kind of reason why he does this? I mean, evidently, this is in the text for a reason. There's no wasted words. Every word in this book is precious. This is what we hold in our hands. This is the very word of God. And when we're flipping through the pages, we're looking at every word because every word in this book matters. Every book, every, every book in this big book counts. And so the question is, is there any, is there any kind of reason as to why Jesus would, would, would uh, stay here and why he would dismiss them rather than him just jumping in the boat and saying, okay, guys, we're going to head across the lake together. Now, I'd like you to flip with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. There's a, there's a, a connected, uh, the parallel uh, to, this, uh, to this account in our In our book, in Mark chapter 6, now we go to John chapter 6, same account, interesting, the Lord uses human authors with their personalities to write the very words of God. Verse 15 of John chapter 6 says this, perceiving then that they were about, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. <laughs> so Jesus has just fed them. Anyone who says, oh, they had no clue what was going on. You know, they're just eating. They don't recognize the miracles taking place of fifteen to 20,000 people. That's a lot of people, and they don't recognize what's going on. Not according to this text. They recognize very well what's going on. They're like, we were hungry. And all we could find was this little boy's lunch. That's all we could find. And Jesus multiplies this thing. And all we know is at the end of it, all of us are, are fed. And all of us, the scripture says, are satisfied. That, that should remind us of something. Because Jesus would teach him. He would say, I'm the bread of life. And when you feed on this bread, you'll be satisfied in your soul. That was the point. They were satisfied. You ever have just a good meal and you are just satisfied. Well, one of the highlights of our trip was Crystal and I went to this restaurant called The Boiling Crab. And we had, we had a, a good time there. It was one of those, it was a nice restaurant, a nice restaurant but it was also very, very casual. In fact, as we're seated, we're sitting there, the, the waiter comes and he, next thing I know, he's putting bibs on Crystal and me. And we're just getting ready, and the guy comes out and dumps lemons on the table, and it was wonderful. And after this meal, we were satisfied. And Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying here, I've, I've fed you physical food that you might be satisfied. I'm taking care of your physical needs. There's a greater need that you have. It's your, it's your soul. You don't want to satisfy that. You're going to be looking your whole life if you don't find me. You don't trust in me if you don't believe in me. And so they see this miracle. They know exactly what is, what is going on. And their desire is, they're like, this guy is amazing. He can do this? Now this would make Herod jealous, because as we saw, Herod was a phony king. He wasn't a true king. 
The people thought Jesus was amazing in what he was doing. And the Bible says that they wanted to make him king. That's what it says here in verse 15. That they were going to come and take him by force. That's what the scripture says, and make him king. And Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he dismisses them. I remember uh, about uh, maybe it was a year or so ago, I was in uh, a, a Sam's Club parking lot with Rick. He'll remember this well. And we come out, and there's two guys fighting. And it was on the verge of a fist fight. And uh, it got to the point where um, I said to them, I said, look, guys, this isn't worth going to jail over. But neither one of them would move their cards, and, 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 and these guys were about to fight. And finally, at the end of this whole verbal spat, they, they finally decided to, to leave. But before, the one guy had to get in a last parting shot, and he said to the other guy, he said, uh, you're dismissed. I dismiss you. Just little little jab right before the guy leaves. This is not the kind of, kind of dismissal that Jesus is giving. Jesus is tender, and Jesus is compassionate. And the reason he dismisses them is he's saying, listen, I have a focus here, and my focus has not been to be your political king. That's not why I came. And so instead of just having his disciples dismiss the crowd, he wants to make sure that it's very clear and that it's very evident that he is saying, I am going to follow God's will for my life. And the will of the Father is not that I become a king who's just going to make food for you whenever you want it and overthrow guys like Herod. But he has called me to a different kind of kingship, the kingship that satisfies the soul. Now, we know, as we just sang earlier, that Jesus Christ is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's going to overthrow all of his political enemies. That's going to happen. But that's not why Jesus came the first time. He didn't come with a sword in his hand to overthrow political kingdoms, but rather, he says, no, I'm going to dismiss the crowd, and I'm going to follow God's plan or the Father's plan uh, for his his life, his ministry. Now notice what he does, and this is, this is something that we see here in Mark. Whenever there's a temptation that is occurring, Jesus would get alone and pray. And there's a temptation that's going on here. And it might not be extremely evident, but it's, hey Jesus, you can be king, but you can be this kind of king. And Jesus is resisting that. He's saying, no, I'm not going to be that kind of king. That is not why I have come. But I'm going to stay committed to the call and the ministry for why I really came. That's what he is saying here. And so as a result of that, he goes up onto a mountain, the scripture says, and he begins to pray. Now, we don't have all of the details. In fact, we don't have the details in the text of what he's praying for. What is, what is the Lord praying for? What is he saying to the Father as he is praying here in verse 46? And after he took leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. He's praying. 
Father, not my will. Father, I've come to do your will. How many times in life has the enemy come, even in your own life? And he said, if you will follow this easy path, I'll give you exactly what you're looking for. Hey, the will of God, it's not just health and wealth and all that stuff, but it's a, it's, 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 it's a life of relative ease. And we as Christians are, are so quick to, to just think if something goes wrong in our life, if something isn't happening that seems right, I wonder if we're out of the will of God, what's going on here? And yet the lesson of Scripture over and over and over again is Jesus saying, nope, I'm not going to be that kind of king. No, I'm not going to pursue that. What is it in your life, perhaps, even this morning? You're being tempted. The enemy's coming saying, hey, take the easy path in, in, in this area of your life. Go ahead and just take the easy path. That's the path you can take. And you can still get what you want. The Spirit of God is coming. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is coming and saying, no, no, no. That is not the path that I have called you to. And so Jesus, in many ways here, is he's protecting his, his disciples from this. He knew at this point that they were, they were easily, easily swayed. And as he's up on that mountain, he's praying, Father, protect my guys. Lord, if they would have stayed, they could have tried to also make me king, just like the rest of the crowd. They would have been right there with them. Jesus, why don't you go ahead and become king? After all, this sounds like a great deal. Look, they're all for you. They all love you. We would, we would take this as an indicator sometimes of the will of God. Look at all the people. They're actually for you. And Jesus is saying, no, no. And he prays the same thing for us. He's in heaven right now, even at the right hand of God the Father, and is interceding. Lord, protect that person, the person who's in me. Lord, protect them from taking the path that is not of you. There's decisions that are coming into their life, Lord, where it, it looks like they could go this way. God, I'm asking you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, would you protect them from that that fatal decision. Lord, would you protect them? And so he's, he's praying for them. He's also praying that they would have uh, an open heart. We sing the song, Paul, Paul prays later in Ephesians that the eyes of our heart might be opened. And it's quite likely that this is what, what Jesus is praying. Is he's praying, Lord, soften their heart. Lord, they just, they just saw a miracle. Father, they saw a miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They're not really getting it. God, would you open their heart? Lord, protect them from the false agendas of the world, the fading agendas, the glamorous agendas, the agendas that seem easy and seem instantly productive. God, would you protect them from that instant gratification? And Lord, would you open up the eyes of their heart that they might see who I really am? Isn't it interesting how we can look at a miracle like this and we could go, oh yeah, that's pretty interesting. Jesus fed the 5,000, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's, that's, that's nice. 
wonder what, I wonder what, what all that means. I guess that's, 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 that's sweet of him. And this, is, this is what it means to have a hard heart, a heart that is not really understanding. Listen, one of the things that, that has been on my heart uh, so strongly lately is that when we come to the Lord, listen, we individually come to Jesus. He's the one who changes us. And if you're, you're sitting here this, this morning and you've been listening to all, all these stories, the prayer, the prayer here is that your heart would not just be turned to going, well, that's interesting, that's, that, that's sure that's there in the text. But that your heart would be open to who Jesus really is. God in the flesh, the, the second person of the Trinity, the glorious Son. This is who he is, the eternal Son. And that our hearts would be really opened, that we would be really moved in our affections and our desires for who he is, that we'd really be changed. Change us, O oh God. And this is, these are probably the things that, that he's praying for on that, on that mountaintop, that we would really know him, that we'd be protected. You think of John chapter 17 and the high priestly prayer and all the things that he's, he's praying in there. These are the kind of things that he's praying for. And meanwhile, his, uh, his disciples are, are having a hard time. When evening came there in verse 47, the boat was out on the sea, there's a direct connection. They have to give up this instant gratification of, um, of instant kingship. The boat was out on the sea, verse 47. And he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Hardship. You ever feel like you're in life and it's just, even Jesus has told you to do something? This is what he says. He says, boys, listen, I want you to go to the other side. This is what I'm calling you to do. Well, that would seem rather easy. Jump in the boat, uh, head past Bethsaida, head over to Capernaum. No big deal. This should be good. After all, God has called us to this. This is what God has called us to do. It's just going to be one open door after another. One open door after another. We hear this a lot, talk about open doors, and we, we see this kind of language in, in Scripture. Does God ever call us to something where, where doors seem like they're closing? Well, uh, I, I believe that God was calling. This is what he said. He said to get into the boat, and he said to cross to the other side. And if we're following God, it's just going to be open door after open door after open door. How about sometimes God calls us to something and he really calls us to something and there's a strong headwind against us. Strong headwind, strong opposition. Does God ever call us to that? That's what he's calling them uh, to here in this text. And we get to the place where we're like, Lord, you called us. We know you called us to this. Lord, we heard your call. Lord, it was verified by others. Lord, we prayed about this. Lord, we asked you. And Lord, we get out on the boat, and all there has been is opposition and headwind. In fact, Lord, we feel like the more we row, the more our arms are getting tired, and we're not going anywhere. We just keep rowing, and we keep rowing, but we're not going anywhere. 
And the enemy comes and he says something like this, maybe he didn't call you there. I mean, look at this guy over here. He's called by the Lord, and it's not just wealth and health and healing and all that. It's just open door after open door after open door after open door. There's never any opposition. What about knocking the door down in prayer? What about ask and keep on asking? Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. This isn't something we get into, and it's just like, well, the Lord called us, and it's just step Step, step. Well, this is easy. This is simple. Where do we get that theology from? Well, it's the theology of the open door. Open door after open door after open door after open door. Haven't we read story of missionary after missionary after missionary? They go and they're rejected, they're rejected, they're rejected, they're rejected. So what do we conclude from that? Well, they must have never been called. Is that what we conclude? Or we share the gospel. And by the way, Christ wants each one of us to share the gospel. It's, yes, it's come to church, but it's beyond come to church. It's the gospel of Jesus. We've so complicated this thing. It's just talking to someone and saying, you know, we're sinners. There's God who made us. We're made in his image. We've fallen away from him. We deserve hell because we've broken the law of God. And Jesus Christ, the God-man, has come to this earth. He's lived in our place. He's died in our place. Died on the cross, took the wrath of God for our sins. Was buried. He rose again physically. And now he's offering the free gift of salvation to anyone who repents and believes. And I, I think we need to be all for training in how to do that. That's, that's good and that's right. But somehow, I think over time, we've often lost the dependence on the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words. It's not a formula. It's preaching Jesus. And so we sit down with the person, or it's in the middle of a conversation, and we're just talking to them about uh, who Christ is. And listen, oftentimes when we talk to people about Christ, catch this, there's going to be opposition and then there's going to be more opposition. And what Jesus is teaching them here by the headwinds isn't just a little story so that we go, oh, well, they, they had a really hard time in the boat that day. See, this would be playing in their mind as they would do ministry later on. Remember when Jesus told us to get in the boat? It was him who told us to get in the boat. It was him who told us to cross over. He told us. And we went and yet we weren't getting anywhere. And as I was praying about this even today, last night, late into last night, that maybe you're sitting here and maybe you feel like you're just rowing. Just rowing. But you look down and you're not going anywhere. I'm rowing, I'm rowing, I'm rowing, but I'm not going anywhere. And here's, here, here's the word of the Lord to you this morning from Mark chapter 6. You didn't miss God. That's an encouraging word, amen? You didn't miss him. I mean, how discouraging it is. Well, I must have missed him. Let's go over here and get discouraged again and miss him here and then miss him here. And then, you know, it's just it's crazy. Look with me at John chapter 16. John chapter 16, please. John 16. 
John chapter 16. Oh my, time has gotten away from us. John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse uh, 33. Some of your translations will use the word hardship. Others will say tribulation. Verse 33, I've said these things to you. Jesus says this, that in me you may have peace. And he says this, in the world you will have tribulation. Isn't that interesting? He didn't just say in the world there's tribulation. Some of your translations say hardship. He didn't just say, oh, there, it's a hard world out there. It's a hard world. He could have said that. He didn't say in the world there's, there's hardship or in the world there is tribulation. He said this, in the world you will have hardship. This is a promise. In the world you will have headwinds going in against you. In the world you will be rowing the oars and it'll feel like you're going absolutely nowhere. Turn with me again to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He says, this, Paul's saying, this is how we commend ourselves to you as servants of God. Notice this. By great endurance, in afflictions, here's, here's our word, hardships. Different word than the word that's used in John 16. You're going to have tribulations. Here, you're going to have hardships. It's not going to be easy. And I'm going to call you to these things, and this is, this is what you're going to experience in, in this life. They're making their headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Listen very carefully. Jesus was for them in the midst of the wind being against them. Jesus was for them in the midst of the wind being against them. And if we're not careful, we can get that confused. The wind's against me, Jesus must be against me. The wind's against me, Jesus must be against me. How about the wind is against me, Jesus must be for me. This is what he promised. Now we'll close with verse 48 today. I, And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch is between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. Can you imagine they're really not getting anywhere? It's been dark when he dismisses, uh, he dismisses the crowd. He's told them to go to the other side of the lake. And they're trying and they're trying and they're trying. This is three o'clock in the morning. 
I don't know what you're like at three o'clock in the morning after a long day and you still haven't gotten any sleep. This is not easy. And on top of it, there's intense labor going on here. <laughs> and as, as they're in the middle of this, all of a sudden, look, someone's walking on the lake. <laughs> That's not normal. That's highly unusual. And they're freaked out. How do we end? We'll have to finish this next week. Maybe we just end by the encouragement of Christ. Where he says, take heart. You're going to have hardships. But I give you my peace. I give you my peace. Oh, the peace of Christ. And we thank the Lord that he overcomes everything, doesn't he? They give up this plan for a better plan, the plan of making him a political king for a better, a better plan. We were going to have the band come and, and, and sing, but why not, this, as we've sung about four times already, why don't we sing He's Coming Soon? Would you stand with me? He's coming soon. He's coming soon.